Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Hello and welcome to Here's Where It Went Wrong, the podcast where every week we have on one of our favorite comedians to talk about one of their favorite things and we trace its history to find out exactly where it all went off the rails. My name is Winsor Powers. I'm joined as always by my co-host Andrew Nadeau. Andrew, how you doing buddy? I'm doing so good. Today we are the favorite comedians. We are! (laughs) And we enjoy us so much. We did a, a special solo episode today which are always just so ridiculously fun. Talk about the history of McDonald's and the insane number of scandals that they have somehow had over the years and still just kept on trucking. They're so, okay, we're, y'all, y'all are going to find out. I have a lot of love for this terrible company yeah. that is all <laughs> taste-based and a lot of that taste coming from when I am drunk. Yeah. So judge me however you want, but I stand by everything I say in here. Unless you're feeling suey if you're the McDonald's company, in which case I do not stand by a single word I say in this podcast. We're not going to risk it. Based on this podcast, there's a good chance they are listening to random podcasts just to find out who to sue. So you know what? We're going to take a shot and put it out there. Let's get into it. Let's go. All right, Andrew, this is another solo you and me episode. I don't ever know how to start the intros to these. I know it's weird. Normally we have like a guest where it's like, hey, just give us all of your stuff that we can hype up. And for you and me, it's like, you know, everything about me. You, yeah, we talk <laughs> you know daily. every project I'm working on. <laughs> so when, what do you have to currently hype up? Oh, man, the things I cr- this podcast. That's a big one. Yeah. Our <laughs> own show that we hype up all the time. Not only this podcast, but our live show here in Chicago at the Lincoln Lodge, which should be back next month. Really hoping. Yeah. Got I really hope they're able to get back to it next month. And other than that, I got some pilot stuff I'm working on. I'm also working on like a new horror thing in my free time and I'm starting to really like it. I really like writing spooky shit. That's fantastic. I mean, I read your original pilot, which was fantastic. I can't wait for that to show up everywhere. The horror story you and I talked about, that was a great premise and I'm really excited to see that actually finish and read the final product. That was a very cool idea. Yeah, so I'm excited. What about you? You got you got the comic strip that's starting to pick up some steam. Yeah, Mediocre Heroes is growing really well. As same stuff with pilots. We just place quarterfinals in, in one competition, semifinals in the other. So stuff is going pretty well, surprisingly. I like, I'm always hesitant to say that because it's like last time we did that, it was like, okay, but now COVID and no more live shows. And you have to like, here's the thing. Like we got live shows back just long enough to get like hooked again on that need for attention. And now all of that is going to like, okay, my girlfriend has to fill the requirements of an entire audience of like emotional (laughs) need, which is far too much to put on one person. (laughs) No, man, I had the best set of my entire 
entire life. And then Omicron shut everything down. <laughs> I had this set where like a few people came up to me and were like, hey, we need you on this show. We need you. On. And I was like, yes, this is fantastic. This feels great. This is why I do comedy. Yeah. And they're like, cool. And then immediately Omicron just wiped everything out. But it's dropping like a rock here in Chicago now. And hopefully next month we're going to be all set. Yeah. Have our live show. And just really throw caution to the wind and just dig into it. We're vaxxed and boosted and we have a requirement for the audience too to be, to be vaxxed to come in, which we like. But also we just don't want to put anyone at risk. I would feel terrible if I found out like our show became a super spreader event. So we've been as careful as, as we can be and just really hoping numbers go down enough in February. Like the next show will be on my actual birthday if we're able to do it. So really hoping we're back in February. That's going to be the biggest show of the year. Right. Last time we did a birthday show, I had you drink that hot sauce that made us throw up because it was so hot. Yes. That was a terrible decision. <laughs> you did have me drink that hot sauce. Yeah. My family was in town. They came to see the show. <laughs> you had my parents like see me in so much pain that I'm shocked at like their instincts didn't kick in and like they didn't like get the strength to lift a car. Yeah. Like that's how much danger <laughs> I felt like I was in. That was a great show. That's what we should be going for here at Every Performance. And for this very episode, you had a great idea. You called me and said, okay, we know McDonald's is terrible for the food, so we can't talk about that because it's already like super unhealthy and also we love it. But here is like the 9,000 super shady things they've been doing. So like, great, we have to do an episode on this. We have to talk about this. Exactly. Well, here's the thing. We want to do an episode just you and me. And whenever we do one that's you and me, I like to choose topics that no one else is picking. So we had the Chicago Fire. We had Chuck E. Cheese. And then I was like, what's something that I love, that I truly love, that I also know is bad. And I know we said we could talk about the food, but everyone fucking talks about the food. Like there was a whole documentary that made everyone lose their goddamn minds, like about <laughs> eating McDonald's. Like for what, I fucking hate that documentary, by the way. Cause it's like, <laughs> oh, did you know that if you eat supersized McDonald's every meal, every day for 30 days, that you're gonna put on weight? And it's like, <laughs> Fucking course I did. Like, you did not need a film crew. You could have just asked me that question on the street and I would have been like, yes, you will gain a significant amount of weight. <laughs> and he also, like, just didn't do shit. Like, he, like, made himself more inert than he had been in the months prior. So he intentionally was trying to gain that weight. So, yeah, the food. What they don't say in it is that the food's just delicious. The food's great. <laughs> I love McDonald's. I, I truly love McDonald's to a bad degree. It's interesting. It was something I really loved when I was younger. I don't have it much now. Last time I had it, I was like, it feels like it's. I'm just eating salt. Yeah, you are. <laughs> that's, that's what you're doing. That's a big part of it. That's why it's delicious. Yeah. <laughs> But it was something I had a lot of and really enjoyed. And, and again, it was like, yeah, the food being unhealthy wasn't a surprise to anybody. We understand like it's a tiny hamburger. Everything about this is going to be terrible for you. Nobody should be shocked by this. It's burgers and fries. No one ever <laughs> thought that I'm going to make burgers and fries and milkshakes the cornerstone of my diet thinking I'm going to get fucking shredded. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody was going into this with high expectations. And and like obviously they did things to make it worse and high data and on all of the awful bullshit that they always do. But you called me and said, do you know about the real estate stuff? And I was like, no, I don't know about the real estate stuff. So that was very exciting. <laughs> okay, so a reason why that I'm so fascinated by McDonald's, I'm sorry to undercut my own podcast here by suggesting another thing yeah. for people <laughs> to view after you listen to this. The movie The Founder with Michael Keaton about not the creation, but the expansion of McDonald's and like how it became like this worldwide phenomenon. 
It's one of those movies where like, if I can't find something to watch, I'm going to watch The Founder with Michael Keaton again. <laughs> the fact he was not nominated for an Oscar for that movie is a travesty. And it's a travesty because no one saw it. The only people that have seen this movie are people that I told to watch this movie upwards of 20 times and they gave it. I love this movie, but let's break down the actual history because that's why you guys are here. You love the history. So in 1948, the McDonald's brothers realized that most of the profits from their family's restaurant that had been open came from hamburgers, potato chips, coffee, soft drinks, and apple pie. They realized that those were the high ticket items. So they decided to shut down their family restaurant. Because this is a barbecue restaurant to start, right? Yes, and it's a car hop. Before there was drive-ins, there was just like, kind of like how Sonic is, but like less efficient. Like <laughs> you would wait for like a long time and like people would like bring you out meatloaf and mashed potatoes and stuff to your car and set it up and like with silverware and everything. And then you'd have to wait for them to bust your car so that they could get their silverware back. <laughs> That's like how this setup used to be. But they were like, what if we got rid of the Italian food? What if we got rid of the meatloaf? What if we just did our five bestseller items, but we figured out a way to make it as efficient as possible? Which they did by introducing the concept of like, let's make it in advance. Let's just keep it under some heat lamps. The food is already going to be ready. All we have to do is hand it to you. Exactly. They called it the speedy system and they set up the entire kitchen just to be able to make those five things as quickly as possible and get them under those heat lamps. They put everything at 15 cents for a burger, okay? 15 cents, incredible. They were able to keep the margin so low. And then they completely redid the restaurant itself. They met with a architect and designer named Stanley Metzen, who devised the golden arches so that when you're driving down the street, you would see this giant golden arch welcoming you into the restaurant. They prided themselves on a very clean glass-driven look where the tile was all white and red and had to be kept spotless so that, you know, you would want to come in. You would want to come to these inviting yellow arches. You would see this clean clean white tile with red pops. Like it was a very good way to go. And also one thing that I didn't like is they were trying to go away from being a sit down restaurant at all. And they devised hostile architecture techniques that are still in use today for the homeless. When people don't want the homeless to be able to be places. Which is a horrifying real thing that's done. Yeah. Yes. So they intentionally slanted the chairs forward so that you would be hovering over your food so you'd eat faster. They devised cone-shaped cups so that you couldn't set it down on the table. You had to hold it so that you would eat as quickly as possible and they spread out the chairs as much as possible so that you would not have a social aspect to your meal. You would literally get in, eat very quickly and leave. And some people were like, huh, this kind of architecture would be good for keeping people off of benches and it's just like, come on, guys. It was so messed up. I cannot believe that that is a real thing. First for restaurants and then we're like, hey, how about we make this worse for all of humanity? Really a disturbing thought process, but McDonald's did it with a, like somehow better intentions to start. Like somehow that wasn't the worst part. <laughs> yeah, they were trying to do it just so like they could sell as many burgers as possible, which fine. But then people used it in terrible ways later on. Anyways, so the McDonald's brothers, this is of course Richard and Maurice or Dick and Mac McDonald. Fantastic names. They franchised. And I don't know if our listeners are aware, but when someone franchises a restaurant, they basically buy 
the name, the way things are done, the menu, the recipes. And they set up their own restaurant under that name and pay a very small percentage of their profits to their parent company. So these people bought the rights to set up their own McDonald's. They did. They would send every year part of their fees to the McDonald's brothers. And it was fine. It was all done in the California and Arizona areas because the McDonald's brothers were so focused on quality control because they invented fast food, essentially. Oh, they did. This was like the first one. Like, again, car hops were there. They had the idea of giving you food to take. <laughs> but the idea of like, let's do this so ridiculously fast, there's no waiting for anything, was their invention. It was incredible. Yeah, they got rid of the trays, the plates, the silverware. They were like, here's a hamburger, some potatoes, everything you could eat with your hands in a wrapper so that when you were done, you didn't even have to wait to get bust. You can literally just drive away. This was a very incredible idea. No one had ever done it before. And they were very protective of this. And they only franchised out to six other people only in areas where they could get to easily so that they can make sure that nobody else is messing with it because there were instances where they originally franchised and they'd get there and somebody would be selling spaghetti and they'd be like, <laughs> fuck you, that's not McDonald's. Which also is like, I get it then is like a brand new thing. It's like, what if we try our own recipe? But the idea of now of like going to McDonald's and there's just some guy behind the counter who's like, I made spaghetti today. You want to give that a shot is insane. It's, it's absolutely Absolutely insane. And so McDonald's was pretty much destined to just be a cool novelty thing that you would see in California or Arizona if you were in those areas. That is until 1954 with Ray Kroc of Michael Keaton, the founder fame, yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> also Batman, but yes. He's also Batman, yes. He's mini-min. He's a very talented actor. Watch Dope Sick if you haven't. Great show. Sorry, this is just a Michael Keaton-based podcast at this yeah. point. But Ray Kroc uh, was a seller of Prince Castle brand multi-mixer milkshake machines, something that I can never say as fluently ever again in my life. Yeah. That's a good read. And while he was talking with his secretary, he noticed that the McDonald's brothers had purchased eight machines for one restaurant. And these were machines that can mix four milkshakes at a time. Was it four or five? Oh, was it five? I think it was five. Darn. See, milkshake mixing technology at this time. It's incredible. So these are 40 milkshakes. They want to release 40 milkshakes at once. They have created a restaurant where they feel like, you know what? We need to have the possibility to make 40 milkshakes at the same time, which is really an incredible thought for one restaurant. Like if you go to an ice cream shop now, they make you one milkshake. Maybe there's a second one happening. 40 milkshakes at the same time. Incredible that they're doing this well. If you go to a regular restaurant, and 40 people order a milkshake, they're going to tell you that there's going to be a wait. The McDonald's brothers said, no, 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 we have a system. We bought all the fucking mixers in the world and we have set them up in the back. So Ray Kroc is just like, there was a mistake there's no way this is happening. And they're like, no, they accepted the order. They are using them. They have not returned these milkshake mixers. So he says, I have to see what they're doing. So he goes down with his buddy, Charles Lewis, and they meet the McDonald's brothers and Ray Kroc just sees dollar signs immediately. This is a system that he thinks can work anywhere in the country. And he goes to the brothers and says, we have to expand this idea. And they go, aren't you the guy that sold us the milkshake machines? <laughs> 
He's like, forget that part. Let me be in charge of franchising your business. And they didn't like that idea. And the reason why is, like we said earlier, they cared about quality control. The further you get from the McDonald's in San Bernardino, the harder it's going to be to control them. And he said, no, I'll be your franchise guy. I'll be the guy that goes to every single restaurant and makes sure that they are doing everything above board. So they make the acknowledgement. They say yes. They go and they offer a deal to franchisees. And that deal is initially 1.9% of all profits are going to go to the McDonald's Corporation. 0.5% of which would go to the McDonald's Brothers and the remaining 1.4% would go to Ray in order to make further expansion. And Ray Kroc's going across the country. He's getting these things open and he's just going, I'm making no money on this. I'm supposed (laughs) to be rich. This is supposed to revolutionize the way people eat and yet I'm barely making more than I made as a seller of ice cream machines. Right. He was putting a lot of work into this, too, an insane amount, enough so that there's discussion about like whether or not this cost him his marriage. Like he was a worker before. But yeah, he's, he's traveling the country. He's trying to get something big established here. And the McDonald's brothers are basically able to collect while he's not doing now, Again, they it's not like they did anything wrong here. That's the agreement they made. Like we made the restaurant. We made the products. You can go franchise. We get a 0.5 percent, very small cut. Yeah, you get essentially three times the percentage. But Ray Kroc was not one to be fine with that. The McDonald's brothers are truly humble men from what I'm gathering. Yeah. So Ray eventually met a man named Harry Sonborn, who came up with the idea that was going to get Ray the money that he wanted so badly. He pretty much told Ray, you're not in the food business and you don't realize it. You're in the real estate business, my dude. Which is probably not the approach you should have when you are selling burgers to the world. Like, if your goal is to make money, great approach. If your goal is what it was for these two brothers who created a pretty cool concept, not so fantastic for people eating the food. Exactly. What happened was they realized that when you expand out McDonald's, every town wants one, every town is going to add one, and you're going to add it in a place that's going to have high traffic where people are going to pull over because that's where they're going to eat. It's a place where they could go in. It's in prime real estate in every major city in America at this point after Ray did his initial push for franchising. So Sonneborn pretty much looks at it and goes, hey, you have the best real estate ever. And the franchise owners are the ones who own that real estate. They put the money down to buy that plot of land. What if you did it? What if you put down and you rented the land back to the franchisee for an increased cost? Like if this sounds like something that like a really low level supervillain would come up with. That's probably an accurate take here. Like this is not a plan that's going to just like a supervillain who doesn't really want to get noticed. Like what if I could just get rich and it screws over people individually, but I don't have to threaten to like blow up the moon. Exactly. It's genius because with this financial model, all McDonald's would earn royalty fees from the franchisees and collect rent. So not only are they giving up that that 1.9%, you know, 0.5% to the McDonald's brothers, one. 0.4% to Ray, they now had to pay rent to Ray, who set up a different McDonald's real estate business to buy all the land. <laughs> and because this is a separate business, none of this is going back to the McDonald's brothers because this is outside the contract. So this is just Ray money now that he's taking from these people that are just looking to start a restaurant on their own. And pretty much the McDonald's brothers did not like that <laughs> for Incredible. some odd reason. They thought that it was kind of polluting this idea 
idea that they made of just, we're going to get America fed fast. That was all that they cared about. They cared about the image of it being clean. They, they cared about just like keeping the menu limited. And they were like, hey, man, you're making all of this money off of like our idea. What the fuck? And Ray's just like, hey, you could leave if you want and I'll just take it. <laughs> also, again, just such a dick move. It's like leave the our name thing, the thing that we built. It's like, we, we don't want to leave. We just don't want you doing this in such a shitty way to everyone. In 1961, Ray went to the brothers and asked them pretty much point blank, how much money for your name and business? And the brothers said $2.7 million, roughly about $20 million of today's money. And so Ray went to Sonneborn and those two together just bought out the McDonald's brothers. Like, I mean, again, not a bad amount of money, a bad amount of money compared to how much McDonald's was going to become worth. And they did at this point believe that they were going to continue getting the 0.5%, right? Exactly, yeah. So at that point, that would have been great. Like, cool, you bought us out. We're going to be getting a percentage back. It's yours. Do what you want with it. We get, you know, creation credit and a, a small point on that. Yes. And because of McDonald's lawyers, we don't know the exact way that they got screwed out of the in perpetuity percentage, but they did. There's also a discussion there about how part of how they got screwed out of this was that there had been something in the contract saying that they could keep the original restaurant that they founded. They had to change the name, which they did. The Big M is what it was called. Yeah, that's what they had to change to the Big M. And Croc was furious about this. And they said, it's in the contract. And he was like, it's not in the contract. And like, we have a contract. You can look at it. But he still insisted it wasn't there. So they changed the name. He opened a McDonald's like down the block from them and drove it out of business in six years and then kept the half a point that he was supposed to be giving them. And through some legal loopholes here, was just able to completely screw these two over. Just incredible, like a legendary dick. Yeah. Ray <laughs> like, let's be honest, legendary asshole. Remember when I talked about the Sonaborn method of buying up the real estate? You know how much they expanded that year from just like a few, like, you know, like they almost doubled their locations that year when they realized this real estate business that they could run. They added 68 McDonald's across the nation in one year so they can maximize getting these franchise owners to pay rent. That is insane. I mean, and that would be really impressive. What, what I hate about this is, is that the growth became so good once they realized how many people they could screw over at once. It was like the growth was okay when it was like, hey, we just have a cool business here that helps people. And they're like, wait, we can make this suck for everybody but us. And then suddenly it explodes. It's incredible. By 1963, Ray and Sonneborn were operating 500 plus locations across America. And in 1967, they started international expansion, opening outlets in Canada and Puerto Rico. And as of 2020, they operate in as many as 119 countries. That is like most of the countries. That is, that's around half of the countries. It's a lot of countries. It's the possibly most well-known brand in the world. It is probably one of America's biggest exports is just McDonald's. Which is a little bit embarrassing, but yes, that's really an accurate description. But the way that it happened was, you can say Ray Kroc is a monster. He did all these terrible things, and he did, but he also revolutionized this business so much. Like, fast food wasn't his idea, but he's the one who made it something that everyone had to go on. The Sonneborn method of buying land is now done by literally every fast food restaurant. They all do it now. 
because it's so profitable to have those people pay you rent on land you own. And guess what? If that McDonald's goes under and that franchisee loses their business, guess what you're left with? Just land in a big empty building. Exactly. Prime (laughs) real estate in like a city or a town that is needed by someone. So you can then just sell the land. You are never in danger if you're McDonald's by buying these pieces of land because they're always in areas where people live and is in like prime real estate. It's going to be in your city square. It's going to be, you know, a roadside attraction or something that people are going to stop on the way. It's unlosable. It was a great, again, strategy, leaving out the moral implications of the strategy. So at some point, Ray Kroc started calling himself the founder. And it was, no, the McDonald's brothers founded this. They, in fact, did start as a franchise. He did found this method and the expansion. It wouldn't be what it was today without him. But Sonneborn was the one that came up with this great idea for the overall structure of how to make the business successful. So much so that Kroc named him CEO when they formed this as a corporation and then ousted him like a decade later and named himself CEO, even though this was Sonneborn. Porn's idea. I feel like Ray Kroc was the one that was able to bully every aspect of this into existence. But everyone else was the one that was the idea person. He was just the one who was like, but what if we did it without any morals? I bet we could get this done quicker and bigger. And he was right. It's one of the best parts of the movie, The Founder, yeah. if we're being honest. <laughs> it's just watching a man with no ideas just become a patchwork quilt of everyone else's best <laughs> idea they've ever had and be called a genius for it. I mean, if you just look at how McDonald's was able to expand their menu, in 1962, a franchisee owner named Lou Grone in Cincinnati, Ohio, realized that in the Midwest, there was a big plummet in sales on Fridays. Do you know why? No, tell me why. Because the Midwest of America has one of the biggest Catholic populations in the world. And so on (laughs) Fridays during Lent, or just Fridays in general for a large part of time, Catholics wouldn't eat meat. That was like a big thing. During Fridays, you do not eat meat. It's just the day where you have to eat fish or vegetables gross. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Lou Grown came up with the idea of a fish sandwich that they could sell in their location on Fridays so as to cut through the loss of the lack of hamburger sales. He created the filet fish which then Ray Kroc was like, sold and he put them <laughs> every fucking where the guy knew a good idea when he saw one he just didn't have a single one for himself but one thing that he did do well was just his level of obsession with this where i remember reading years ago about how the fries weren't consistent and they spent millions at a time where this was still a huge amount of money to them to try and figure out why and they discovered that this had to do with how long the potatoes were sitting and the humidity in the warehouses and like they spent millions researching this and coming up with their methods to try and regulate this to get every single fry to come out the same and yeah there was an obsession to detail that led this to be consistent that you went to any McDonald's in the world and you would get the same thing exactly and there's some comfort in that I will say Ray Kroc very good brander you know what he called the filet of fish what the slogan was? No. The fish that catches people. All right, that's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) That's the kind of thing you would expect from a former door-to-door salesman. Like, yeah, this is good. (laughs) Exactly. The man knew how to sell things. And so the expansion began. In 1974, they brought McDonald's to New Zealand with Wally and Hugh Morris, the Morris brothers. They had a huge expansion there. In the 1980s through the 2010s, they opened their first McDonald's Express locations, which were just even more limited menu, get in, get out. Basically what you would see in places like airports, small scale prototypes, 
almost completely prefabricated and put into storefronts of buildings. And they didn't feature menu items such as milkshakes and quarter pounders. It's just basically, here's a soda, here's some fries, here's a hamburger, get out. When have you been to Ocheval or Small Cheval here in Chicago? I have not. Ocheval is an actual restaurant here in Chicago that was known for having one of the best burgers in the country. So much so that they created Small Cheval, which is a restaurant that just sells their burgers, fries, and shakes. And it's great. I actually ordered after quarantine hit, this was became like a staple for me to order delivery from. But they, you know, they don't keep it in the lamps. They do it fresh, but it's still the same model. Like, let's just take the best thing, the thing that's most popular here and create a whole restaurant dedicated to that. Like, this is a model that was originally really formulated by McDonald's, so much so that now a very upscale restaurant is doing this with like a good burger. Once again, McDonald's founded a lot of great stuff, and it's so easy to try to just dunk on them for a lot of reasons, but honestly, incredible company that made really good food, but it's also kind of evil, as yeah. <laughs> all big companies kind of are. Oh yeah, and like if you discount the evil, all they did was cool stuff. It was all very fascinating. It's just the moral implications behind all of it that give you pause, but the level of success and what they were able to achieve with this approach of like, look, let's build a whole new approach to an industry that should be popular with everyone. That's a very cool concept. Exactly. So another big thing that I love about their marketing thing is Ray Kroc was a genius in the fact that also he realized that he had to get in and associate the brand with other things. He had to make sure that people looked at McDonald's and they thought family because he thought, you know, we're a family restaurant was like one of his big things because it's what the McDonald's brothers started. He never had an original idea. He was going to keep pushing that family thing. And he actually wrote a letter to Walt Disney in 1954 trying to get McDonald's into Disneyland before it opened. <laughs> so Walt and Ray both served together in World War One. They both lied about their age and got training as ambulance drivers together for the Red Cross. So they had met back in like 1916, 1917. And then like silence for 30 years. And then one day Ray Kroc calls him up and is like, what if you put a McDonald's in Disneyland? And Walt is like, I'm not doing that. Uh, <laughs> and they didn't until like 1990 where they eventually did finally put one in. Exactly. It was when Michael Eisner wanted to get more teens to come into the park and he thought, you know what teens love? Burgers and fries. <laughs> and then they put McDonald's in all their parks and actually many places to just sell French fries to people. And that partnership continued for years. I think it was like a decade long partnership that pulled in over a billion dollars from promotions. So McDonald's originally fried all of their fries in beef tallow, which they originally did because it was the cheapest option, but it gave a very distinctive taste. So much so that they insisted that every other franchisee used this exact same recipe, which I think was 93% tallow, 7% canola oil. And they were very insistent, and this made their fries wildly popular, and it was only with the discovery of the dangers in saturated fat and then trans fats that they had to switch up their formula once they just were getting so much bad press. They're like, okay, you guys, we get it. You're not willing to die for these fries. And a lot of people were like, no, we'll die for the fries. Don't change the recipe. I would die for those fries. Yeah. <laughs> so they changed the recipe and have started adding just beef essence kind of thing to like the flavoring to try and recreate some of this. And the fries are still very good, very popular. There was also a controversy where they said our fries are not fried in beef. These are vegetarian. And there was big controversy because it turns out that was only done when they fry them for the second time time 
at their store. They're fried originally before they're packaged and sent to McDonald's because McDonald's is big on like we don't make any of our own food. We buy everything and have it sent to us in these specific regulations. It's fried originally in beef. This was not at all vegetarian. We're like, no, but when we fry it in the store, there's no beef there. So we're giving it to vegans and it's cool. And this again received backlash very understandably. Incredible. Also, just another one, because you mentioned the importance of family. This was a big thing that they pressed so much so that it was referred to those that worked there as the Mick family. Which sounds like a slur. It, <laughs> I thought the same thing when I heard it. It sounds like a slur to the Scottish? The Irish? Scottish. It it's sounds like a slur Scottish, to the yeah. Scottish. <laughs> and by the way, there have been multiple lawsuits where McDonald's has tried to claim that prefix. And they keep being like, you can't have the term Mick. <laughs> you don't own that. You own McDonald's. In fact, there was a woman who named her restaurant McCoffee because her last name was M-C-C-A-U-G-H-E-Y. McCoffee. And she spelled it Mick, like the word coffee, because she knows it's old coffee. And she actually lost the lawsuit. She had to change the name because they're like, it's too close to McDonald's. They tried another place where someplace in China called it the restaurant McChina to sell like American burgers. And like the judge basically said, they're like, do you really think someone's going to walk into McChina and be like, this isn't McDonald's? I was so confused. So they did lose that one. But so in 2016, they are bringing in a new CEO at this point, Chris Kamsinsi. And he says like, okay, we're not a family. We're a business. Like from now on, we're not the Mick family. We're the Mick team. And they didn't like it. Like everyone was pissed off and they're like, no, we're a Mick family. And they're like, one, that's not a thing. And two, how much have you been brainwashed by this company? I was about <laughs> to say, like, how brainwashed do you have to be to be like, no, we are a Mick family. <laughs> like everyone's standing up like I am fucking Spartacus for the right to be treated like family when they work for McDonald's and miss Christmas. It was absolutely insane. And he did make them a ton of money by going through like, no, we're a business. We're going to run it like a business. And it's like, guys, you already did like all of the worst business stuff you could possibly do. Like they held a town hall announcing the death of McFamily. <laughs> and the message was you couldn't pick your family members, but you can pick your team. So from now on, we're the McTeam. And then... <laughs> This is why I think he actually did it because he was fired for having sex with a bunch of employees. Oh, so he was trying to avoid McIncess. That's, <laughs> that, that was my thought process. Yes. Was he's like, this is going to make it less creepy. They're only teammates. So he was fired and given his $40 million compensation package for it. And then McDonald's actually sued him once they found out there were way more women that he had had relationships with. I, I think it was three more and then one official that started this whole thing and everyone was surprised that McDonald's sued him rather than sweeping it under the rug to try and get the 40 million back because they're like we didn't know it was this bad we wouldn't have given severance if we had known how much he screwed us over obviously this wasn't like because it was the right thing to do by any means it was that they wanted to distance themselves from him and giving him 40 million was like oh okay we're, and so now they get the money back they get to distance themselves the scandal's going to come out anyway this is all very calculated but everyone was like oh good for McDonald's doing the right thing suing this guy it's like no they just sued him to get his money back they didn't sue him to stop having sex with people he's still having sex with people. And not only that, his McDaughters. <laughs> <laughs> I love that this was like, I thought this was just like a joke thing. Like you add Mick to stuff, but no, like this is part of the McDonald's corporate culture was that you do have a Mick family and a Mick team and McGriddles and McDelivery. Apparently executives who leave frustrating meetings are Mick over it. Like that is an actual thing that they thought was clever enough to tell people. I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> That's 
the worst thing I'm going to say this whole podcast. Yeah. I've been like talking about how much I love like Big Macs and spicy McChickens and those delicious fries, this whole thing. But the most disgusting thing I'll do this whole podcast is say, I'm loving <laughs> the pun. <laughs> So overall, McDonald's is structured to be horrifying from the top down, but also really good at convincing people at every level that what they're doing is cool. Incredibly so. And another thing, just so we can bring it to 2020, because as we mentioned before, McDonald's, not a restaurant. It is a real estate empire. (laughs) McDonald's is the seventh most profitable real estate company in the world. In 2020, they had an evaluation of $41 billion in assets and property. That is ridiculous. And you know how they're making their money? You know how before it was just, you know, 5% goes to the McDonald's brothers, 1.4% goes to Ray Kroc. Here's how it's set up now. When you franchise McDonald's, it is a one-time franchise fee of $45,000, three months base rent of $229,000, or a percentage rent of 28% of sales, 4% commission on sales. So before it was 1.9% and now it's 4% plus these other fees. And then an advertising and promotion fee that cannot be less than 4% of sales. So like we're putting up all these commercials and everything, you have to pay an additional at least 4% of your sales in order to come to us. On average, franchisees have to spend around 1.5 to $2.5 million in total to start a franchise of McDonald's. According to Business Insider, the average McDonald's location makes $2.7 million in sales and around $150,000 in profit. So why would you agree to invest in a franchise scheme where a profit is just going to be 5.5% of revenue. It's because it's McDonald's. That name recognition is so huge that you put it up and it's there. It just runs. (laughs) Like you have to hire the people to to do it. But it's the same thing that Ray Kroc did. He took everybody else's idea and he just let it go. It's absolutely wild. At the end of 2020, 93% of McDonald's, so 36,521 of total 39,198 were franchised. Saying that it just approve the franchise model. That is how you could get the idea. That is the amount that is actually owned by McDonald's. Just 7% of their restaurants do they actually own. Out of the total 19 billion McDonald's made in 2020, 8.1 billion came from 7% of the company owned stores and 10.7 billion came from the 93% franchise operated stores. So that was from those fees. That is from those sales, 8.1 billion. So you would think, you know, oh, well, that means, you know, that 7% must have made a lot of money. No, they all made about the same amount of money. It's just the franchise owners got to keep kind of a larger percentage, but they were still giving so much profit to the company itself that it totaled 19 billion total in sales. Right. Obviously, the big difference there is that once they own themselves, they have expenses on. They don't have the same expenses for the franchises. So it's like, yes, they have more coming in, but the net profit is going to be a lot lower than ones where you've just handed off to somebody else to do all the work. Exactly. Incredible business. We've talked about the history. So, Andrew, where do you, and I know we've kind of been dunking on this throughout, but where do you think it went wrong? So here's the thing that McDonald's has done, and not like as a policy, but so consistently as might as well been, where they will be in a situation and they will go, what is the thing a decent human will do here? And they do the opposite of that thing. Like, just without fail. It is this approach of, like, again, the one I had mentioned earlier, it was two people, a hundred and wife. They were known as an environmental organization known as the London Greenpeace Group. 
unrelated to the other Greenpeace. And they just put out leaflets entitled What's Wrong with McDonald's? Everything they don't want you to know. They talked about offenses against nature, deforestation, littering, mistreatment of animals and workers. And then there was this massive libel case against them where two of those accused, Helen Steele and David Morris, a part-time bar worker and an unemployed postman, went to court to prove that their accusations against McDonald's were true. And McDonald's put together a team of lawyers to smother the claims against them. The trial lasted years. McDonald's spent 10 million pounds trying to destroy these two for a settlement that ended up being 40,000 pounds against them. McDonald's won the case, of course. They had all these massive lawyers to which the two people said, like, we're not going to pay that. And McDonald's said, yeah, that's that's fine. We don't we don't care. They spent 10 million pounds. What was this going to do? <laughs> we were just feeling silly, goofy. <laughs> and it was ridiculous. Every time they did this, it made them look so bad. They were always like, there's just this little guy here who's trying to do a small thing. And McDonald's just inevitably comes up on the wrong side of it. In 2015, 10 ex-employees of McDonald's in Virginia filed a civil rights suit against the company accusing it of racism because according to the employees, they'd been fired after a supervisor suggested there were, quote, too many black people in the store. Jesus Christ! I know, it. like, who even has that thought, let alone says it out loud and then acts on it? So on a single day, 15 black employees have been fired. And while those same supervisors had hired a number of white employees only a few months earlier. And it was just, just absolutely insane. And this were against franchise locations rather than against the whole company, but three franchise locations and apparently conditions at them were owned by Michael Simon were just as bad. One of the plaintiffs said that she'd been regularly harassed again with supervisors using just a lot of very racist language and when this plaintiff had appealed to McDonald's higher-ups, she was ignored after she was fired. And so McDonald's, because of franchises, they aren't strictly to blame, but it's like they're involved in all this. They never have took any step to do the right thing. Then again, same with the beef fat fries where they're like, we've said it's vegetarian and we didn't do it was just all very much of like, okay, but we just pushed the boulder off the hill. You know, we didn't direct it towards the houses it crushed kind of thing. And they just so constantly did this. It's so wild because it reminds me of the reason they didn't want to franchise in the first place was that they (laughs) wouldn't be able to keep an eye on all the stores. And basically the company's whole thing is it's not our fault. Those guys did it. Yeah. Over and over. Oh God, there was this one in China. This was back in 2015 when it was revealed that a McDonald's had been serving tainted meat in restaurants across the country. It was a secret film showed workers at a food processing plant handling food with their bare hands, repackaging expired food and returning meat which had fallen on the floor into their machinery. And McDonald's responded by lying about using products made by the plant. And they're like, guys, there are paper trails. We know where you get your food from. And then they refused to sever ties with the U.S. group who owned the processing plant. Its sales plummeted in China. A number of items, including chicken nuggets, chicken fillet, and a range of vegetable products were taken off the menu because of how bad it. McDonald's just kind of kept going with like, okay, we didn't do it. It's like, no, you guys are responsible for everything under your umbrella. It was incredible. Don't forget the top lawsuit, the number (laughs) one lawsuit, hot coffee. The thing that we were told our whole lives was an example of like frivolous lawsuits and like, oh, how greedy people can be. (laughs) So for those of you who don't remember, this was 1992. A woman, Stella Liebich, was severely burned after spilling a cup of coffee on her that she bought at McDonald's. And she issued a lawsuit just asking for her hospital bills to be paid for this because this was extreme. This wasn't like, oh, the coffee was too hot. She had third degree burns across 16% of her body. She required her hospitalization for eight days for skin grafts and McDonald's offered her $800 for all of this. And when she issued the court case, it was revealed that McDonald's had been receiving complaints about the extreme heat of the coffee, 30 to 40 degrees hotter than that served by other companies. By the way, this is going to be 150 degrees if it's going to be burning due to third degree in like two seconds or so. 
so, which is probably what it's going to be about for, for someone gets the coffee off of them. 700 people, including children, had been burned before this. But McDonald's had decided that these were insignificant cases because they were selling billions of cups of coffee for every year. So they just wrote these franchises off, said that's too hot, we're not going to do anything about it. Then they did a huge job painting her as the villain for filing a frivolous lawsuit when she just wanted her hospital bills paid because they were serving what really was a dangerous product. This was not a temperature any human would choose to drink coffee. This was dangerously hot. She needed skin grafts. It like yeah. destroyed her genitals. It was horrible, like really horrific burns. And she was eventually, she won. Like this was obviously, she was in the right. She was awarded $200,000 in compensatory damages, reduced to 160000 because she was judged to be 20% responsible for the incident. But then she also received $2.7 million in punitive damages, later reduced to 480000 And they did settle for an undisclosed amount. But still, most people today do not know that she was the pure victim of this, that this was not a frivolous lawsuit. She just wanted her hospital bills paid for when McDonald's was being remarkably irresponsible. But then McDonald's spent so much money and like hired PR firms to paint her as the villain in this. And like, I grew up hearing the stories like, oh, be careful because people will sue you. A one lady won millions of dollars because her coffee was too hot. Can you believe that? Right. She said her coffee was too hot, got millions of dollars. They could have spent so much less money and looked better just by doing the right thing and being like, no, of course we're going to pay for this. We were so sorry this happened to you. They would have spent so much less money in the end and had a chance to be like, we did the right thing without being told to. But instead, again, went the absolute opposite way. The absolute opposite way. It's <laughs> wild. It's wild that they were just like, that it was spent almost out of spite. Like McDonald's like really focused on like anger at this woman that they were going to ruin her reputation. Like you're oh, a yeah. billion dollars, over a billion. You're like, you make billions of dollars a year and you've just decided to make this one woman with destroyed genitals your enemy. <laughs> And like, why? And, and they just keep doing this like over and over again. It's amazing how at no point do you hear a story where it's like, oh, something bad had McDonald's and they just decided to do the right thing. It never happens. It never happens. And oh my God, your reason for why it went wrong is so much better than mine. What was yours? I hate the fact that McDonald's has deeper lore than the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like it has so many characters, Andrew. It has so many characters and they all have deep backstories. They <laughs> do you know who the number one villain was? Was in the 1970s for Ronald McDonald. I'm guessing Hamburglar. Yeah, Hamburglar was one of them, but not his main one. His main one was the Evil Grimace. His name was the <laughs> Evil Grimace. His arms were sticking out and they were used to steal the milkshakes of children. I know this. This is logic I have in my... The Grimace... Grimace was a bad guy. He was a criminal mastermind. And I don't like this. They pulled evil Grimace, came out with him the next year, just as Grimace, but then they made him an idiot. Like they made <laughs> it like he had severe head trauma and now is Ronald McDonald's best friend. And they gave him dopey eyes. They got rid of his pointed down eyebrows. So he was now a good guy with just like a low IQ. Like literally in like the McDonald's Wikipedia, which exists, because like I said, this is deep lore. Like go fuck yourself, George Lucas. Somebody <laughs> has been writing McDonald's shit for 50 years. But like even that describes him as a simpleton. They say his portrayal is as a simpleton. <laughs> so despite all of this and the fact that they have so many characters with these deep backstories, in 1973, Sid and Marty Croft, the creators of HR Puff and Stuff, success 
successfully sued McDonald's because in creating McDonald Land, they ripped off their TV show. Mayor McCheese was a direct copy of their character, H.R. Puffet Stuff, also a mayor. McDonald's was originally ordered to pay 50000 and then later remanded acid damages to pay the cross to more than a million because they're like, fuck, guys, you just took everything. McDonald Land itself was depicted this in the commercials, a magical place where plants, foods, and animate objects were living, speaking characters. The various beings are played by puppets or costume performers very similar to... The, it was popular. H.R. Puffet stuff was well-known, and they just ripped the whole thing off. And McDonald's had originally hoped the cross would agree to license the characters for commercial promotions. But when they declined, McDonald Land just did it on their own, based everything on Puffin stuff, and attempted to duplicate the appeal and not pay them for any of it. See, I didn't even know that part. I just wanted to rant about the Grimace a lot. <laughs> I didn't even know that they plagiarized in order to make this deep, once again, deep lore. There is a fucking movie. McDonald's released a movie called The Legend of Grimace Island. That's a real VHS tape that they sent out to children. They have multiple films, Andrew. Oh, it, it, it went so deep, but all of it was so ripped off that the only one they could keep were Ronald Grimace, the Hamburglar, and the Fry Kids, and nobody remembers the Fry Kids. Like, they gave them the worst ones. In fact, the concept of the magical place but was all but phased out of the commercials, as were many of the original characters. They just completely ripped off this very popular children's show and was like, but what if it was burgers now and thought they would just get away with this because they're McDonald's and fuck you, we're too powerful. I mean, I hate that there's, I owned a McDonald's movie. <laughs> I owned a VHS and like, I don't like that about myself. <laughs> it's not like you bought it last year. You owned this as a child, presumably. There was a series. It came out with a series, Andrew. There is a direct-to-video like mini-series of more than one episode of the Wacky Adventures of Ronald McDonald. That's a real thing that existed. Like I said, I don't like how deep the lore goes. It is so fucking deep. They even had, like, I don't know if you remember this, but they had those singing McNugget commercials. Oh, yeah, I do remember those. Because yeah. those were also characters from the cartoon. They would sing. They would sing, like, one was Dip to My Lou. That was that was a very popular country western song. And it's weird that, like, the McNuggets had eyes and singing voices because it's, like, McDonald's way of being, like, just so you know, they have souls. <laughs> What I hate about this, too, is that we're discussing all of the evils. And as soon as you mention the same McNuggets, I'm like, oh, man, I could go for the McNuggets. Like, it worked. It all worked. It's a good product. <laughs> but why is there so much backstory to the fake McDonald's characters, Andrew? So There's much. so much. <laughs> it's so deep. None of it necessary. Because, like, as a kid, we weren't getting that emotionally invested in these, in these characters. I was perfectly okay with just the fact that they were nuggets that sang sometimes. But, like, Grimace has a life. Grimace <laughs> has wants and needs that have been assigned to him. <laughs> like, he checks out at work, after his work day. Yeah, he goes home and he has a life. They had him voiced by Frank Welker. That man is Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Okay, wait, can we discuss one of the other absolutely insane ones here? And McDonald's was one of several businesses that fell prey to this. But someone claiming to be a police officer telephoned the business and convinced the manager to conduct a strip search of an employee. There's a movie about this, actually. Is there? Yeah. 
Okay, well, uh, <laughs> I had no idea, but I'm glad it exists because it's horrifying. One, that it, it, it no, it's horrifying that it happened. That's it. It's just horrifying that it happened. But I cannot imagine a circumstance where someone calls me on the phone and is like, you're in charge of this strip search. And I'm like, yes, this sounds like a reasonable chain of events. This is my responsibility to carry out. It's horrifying. This was like a series of incidents. This happened over the period of 12 years. And basically they would, call they would they would pretend to be the police they would say that there is an employee who's been dealing drugs or something like that to call them in and to perform a full-on strip search and the thing was people didn't question it they were told by an authority that they needed to do this and everyone just went for it they would say you know oh this person has drugs this person actually has stolen money a lot of times they would use the they actually have been stealing money from your store to create animosity towards that employee so that doing this would be easier for them by saying this person is stealing directly from you and I'm giving you this authority. The movie is actually called Compliance and not the best kind of, you know, it was an exploitive situation. I'm not sure if you should be making movies about it. But yes, this was a real thing and it happened over the course of 12 years and it's wild. It is ridiculous that (laughs) just that any of this existed. There was also one in Peru where two teenage employees died because there was a beverage vending machine that was in poor condition that produced an electric shock and added to the wet floor and lack of adequate cleaning implements. They died. They were shocked to death. Like this was recent. This was 2019. I could see McDonald's suing their corpses. Right. (laughs) That is absolutely the kind of response that McDonald's has always had this kind of thing. Their defense was always that this is owned by a franchisee. This is not our responsibility. But one of the big ones we should absolutely talk about too was the Monopoly scandal. Have you heard about this one? Yes, there's actually a documentary that's pretty great about it. Uh, (laughs) Okay, yeah, there is a documentary on this now, but this was launched in 1997 where it was like, yeah, there's a Monopoly board. When you buy food, you get pieces. If you get the right pieces connected, you can win a bunch of money, including a potential $1 million prize. And it was a good idea. It made the company a lot of money. More people went to get McDonald's to get the chance of winning this money. But this ex-cop, Jerry Jacobson, happened to work at the company that printed the game pieces. So he came up with the idea to provide people with winning pieces in exchange for a cut of their prizes. And he got away with this for a whole 12 years. He defrauded McDonald's for $24 million in the process. But the company wasn't blamed for Jacobson's scam. After the truth came to light, thanks to an FBI tip, it gave away 10 million to 55 random customers as a way of saving face. But people spent a lot of money. Like McDonald's was something that was very often eaten by by the poorest groups. That was one of the supposed benefits, obviously undone by the fact that it was so unhealthy and that was a huge issue among the poorer communities that they don't have access to healthy food. But this was a food that could be accessed quickly and cheaply. So going to McDonald's over something else for a chance to win money was a big thing. And the fact that you actually had zero chance at this, that this was all a long con and that the winners were already decided by just some dude was a huge thing. It's a fantastic documentary and it makes sense because McDonald's is not allowed to run their own contest. So they had to outsource it to this third party. And then this guy who works for the third party was just like, what if I just had other people win it and then give them small cuts? And (laughs) it's kind of genius. We feel like, oh my God, that's so wrong. But that is exactly what McDonald's did, setting up their entire franchise. What if I just have somebody else do it and they gave me a little bit of their money? Oh God, you're right. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was full circle. <laughs> I don't know if we can beat that. So let's just go right ahead into in their defense. Oh, God. All right. When what do you have in their defense? <laughs> I'm going to say it, Andrew. The food slaps, my man. It was good food. <laughs> You're saying was. I ate McDonald's earlier this week. I don't care. I know that they're not great. But you know what? There's no ethical consumption under capitalism. And we live in capitalism. And I love, I love a good, here's my order. Two hot and spicy McChickens, a large fry, and a large sweet tea. That is home to me. No matter where I go in this world, I can order that at a McDonald's. And I am once again 16 in my car, driving for the first time by myself and able to stop in after school to get me that meal. And for those three minutes, because I eat like a monster, all is right with the world. I... Love the food. I don't care. And you know what? They invented fast food. And yeah, that might be a negative for the world, but it's been a positive for me, I will admit. (laughs) A lot of people don't know what I look like, and they're probably making some big assumptions right now. (laughs) I am amazed that you are somehow in fantastic shape. (laughs) But all right, whatever you've done, it has somehow worked for you. For me, I mean, I think that ultimately his defense is that, yeah, like we know it's evil, but we still go there. Like if I'm at an airport, I'm going to pace the airport three times and go, I guess I'm getting McDonald's because that is the thing. That is the thing where you always know what it's going to be no matter where you are. You know what you're going to get. I think in their defense will be, so this was something where we would get it as a treat sometimes when I was a kid. My mom would take me and my sisters through the drive-thru and I have distinct memories of it. My mom would always order one change so they had to make it fresh and if my father was in the car, he would refuse to allow that to happen and we didn't want any toppings on so we would order the whole thing and then wipe it off with a napkin and we're like, dad, why? <laughs> there, there was a much easier solution here. This is not, not the choice we have to be making here. But a distinct memory I have here was my sister had finished her food and I had fries left and she said, can I have your fries? And I said, no, you had fries. The birds didn't and took my fries and dumped them out the window. <laughs> That's deep. That's deep seated to you this day, isn't it? This is going to inform a lot of who you are. That's what I feel like. Like, look, the thing is like, none of this was malicious. This was pure logic in my head. There were birds outside that had not had any fries and my sister had a whole thing of fries. Clearly I'm taking care of the ones in need here, which are the sea goals in the McDonald's parking lot. <laughs> and though I don't agree with the logic today, I do think that ultimately this was probably a formative stage for me to be like, look, this is how I'm going to approach the world with really dumb perspectives that is ultimately going to lead to me having a career in comedy. So you know what? Thanks <laughs> McDonald's for that. Yeah, what a formative moment for you when you just completely ruined her day. <laughs> 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 I doubt she remembers it as fondly, but if it wasn't for that terrible perspective, I don't think I would write jokes the way I do today. God, this has been great. I love these. <laughs> I know, these are so fun. <laughs> but I mean, I think that bad wraps it up that we've got the history. We have the oh, so many places where it went wrong, obviously in their defense and the food that we, despite ourselves, have very much enjoyed. So yeah, that's going to do it. These are so fun. Guys, if you would like us doing these solo episodes, please let us know because I always feel like we should get a guest and then we have an opportunity to like, no, this is going to be so much fun for us. I want to do it. So please let us know if you like these too. If so, we'll keep doing more of them. If you did enjoy it, please also subscribe. Give us five stars. It helps out so much. We also have a Patreon down in the show notes. It helps us keep the show going. We're getting back next week. We hope you'll join us then. When? I'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.